0: Welcome, welcome to another edition of You a Robot. This is a series where we aim to tackle some of the greatest ethical issues around AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing this is we're gathering the best and brightest minds in their fields to come and talk to us or to come and talk to me really about what it is that they're doing and how they see things moving forward when it comes to AI ethics and AI governance. We're trying to stimulate this conversation so we as a community can find some best practices that we can all agree on and move forward with. I don't want this to end right here though. I would love for you to come and join us in Slack because we have a Slack community where we are continuing these conversations. So come stop by, say hi, let us know what you're passionate about, let us know what you're working on, drop your two cents on what it is that you like or don't like when it comes to AI ethics or AI governance. And let's create this framework, let's create these best practices together. Last thing I will mention is that we have a sponsor. None of this would be possible without Ethics Grade. They're an ESG benchmarking firm that specializes in technological governance. Big shout out to them and a big thank you. Let's talk about our chat with the Curtis sisters. This is an incredible story because I was originally supposed to just interview Anna, but she called me up about a week before we were supposed to have the interview. And she said, you know, my sister is doing a lot of research when it comes to shady activity within blockchain. And maybe she would be a good person to have on with me so she can share some of these stories that she's been finding out about. And of course, I was all for it. And so now we have two for the price of one today. We get Hannah and her sister Priscilla to come and talk to us about blockchain. They give a A lot of information about these shady marketplaces. They also talk to us about what her company is doing, Chainalysis, and why there's a need for a company like hers to exist. And then we get a tour of Tor at the end of this. So if you have never seen what the black market or the dark web looks like, then you might want to watch this on YouTube because she shows us around and gives us a, a quick run through of the browser tour and what you can find on there. And it's uh it's a little bit different than I expected to be honest. All right. Without further ado, let's just get into it with Hana and Priscilla.
1: Are you a robot?
0: I think we can start with me just asking a bit of background on both of you. I know we are have the luxury of having both of you on today. It was supposed to just be Hannah, but then we found out Priscilla also is in the field of figuring out what's going on in the dark web and also learning about companies and and screw-ups. And I know you have some stories that you can get into in a bit, Priscilla, but before we get into anything, I think it would be really nice to hear both of your backgrounds and how you came to be where you
2: are. Um, Okay. So thanks for having us. We're excited to chat with you. Uh, My background is in basically data analysis for a lot of different companies. So it wasn't really specifically blockchain or cryptocurrency uh, until I joined Chainalysis recently. Um, Before that, I was working at healthcare companies and utilities companies. And other random places, uh, some healthcare, I think I said, um, where they basically had all of their data in a bunch of different systems and databases that didn't talk to each other, but they needed to pull it all together to be able to make informed decisions. Um, and so they would hire me and my colleagues to, to come in and bring all that data together and, and help non-techie people use it. Um, and then I was fascinated with blockchain, just personally and kind of got into it. And then when I found Chainalysis, I was like, Oh, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I joined the company.
0: Perfect. And we'll get into what Chainalysis is doing in a bit, but, uh, Priscilla, how'd you wind up here doing?
3: stuff? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. Um, so I'm Hana's sister and I'm a professional actor and dancer and I'm a fitness instructor. And so when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, all my modes for, you know, all my industries disappeared really in like a day. And so Han and I were talking once and she talked about how one of their freelancers had quit and all this, you know, what the job was. And I, you know, I've always loved research. I always have loved things like that. And so she was like, actually, I think you would have a lot of fun with this. So I was like, great, well, let's do a trial. Let's see. And then I, uh, did it for about a week and i was like this is super fun this is really cool
0: yeah and break Um, down for us what what exactly are you doing
3: so basically because there are so many cryptocurrency companies and exchanges and you know there's just a ton and some of it's legitimate and some of it's not and some of it's kind of in the middle and um so essentially I just go through. They give me a list of specific things, or I'll just go through this just master list of a ton of them, and I find out their legal information, their this, their that. Look up article, you know, just kind of everything, just to give a sense of all this stuff. Um, I almost I always say like, you know, Wikipedia when there's that panel on the side of like when somebody died and where they were born and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I am finding that panel for. Cryptocurrency
0: companies. Ah, it's like the too long didn't read section. Right.
3: Yeah.
0: So then can you break down, Hannah, just what exactly is Chainalysis? Is, am I pronouncing it correctly? Chainalysis? Yeah. Chainalysis. Chainal- what are they doing?
2: So with cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and Ethereum, and there are a lot at this point, it's a digital currency that can, people can use what's called pseudo anonymously. So that means that you're basically anonymous, but not quite. And so it's a, it's a public blockchain, you know, which means that anybody can tap into that data and kind of see these transactions going back and forth. But where you might look at your transactions in your bank statement and see, you know, you know, you're on one side of the transaction and then your coffee shop is on the other side of the transaction on the blockchain. It just looks like, one side is a random string of numbers and letters and the other side is a random string of numbers and letters. If you do some analysis though, you can actually figure out what's on both sides of those transactions. Um, And we're not interested in like knowing individuals and what individuals are doing necessarily, but more companies. So it might be that uh, funds coming out of an exchange where somebody swapped their dollars for Bitcoin then are going into a darknet market where that person is now buying drugs Um, or, you know, maybe funds stolen from some exchange are then routed through some mixers to hide uh, what's happening or try to, you know, hide the funds and then ultimately get cashed out into a a fiat currency, like dollars or pounds or euros. Um, And so that, that flow of funds kind of requires it's, it's all available to see on this public blockchain, but it takes some kind of, analytics applied on top of it to see how that's going
0: or so so basically you're showing that those analytics and you're right. able to see where the flow of funds is actually moving that's and right. so so yeah that's great um i guess not so much for the people who want to stay anonymous right um, but i i know that the first time i think i heard about blockchain or Bitcoin, because I think everyone first hears about Bitcoin and then moves on to the next ones. And I think it was in like 2012, maybe. And you still, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you still had to use Tor to actually be able to access it, or you needed like a specific piece of hardware to access it. Am I completely making this up? Do you know anything about that, the history?
2: The, so back, so Bitcoin has always, it's, it's programmatic. So you, uh, you can facilitate transactions um, with, you know, as long as if you know how to write the code, you could do it yourself or, um, you know, or use a service that provides that those transactions, um, like a a wallet software, something like that. And so basically what you have is your you'll have a private key and your public key uh your your public address where if you wanted me to send you bitcoin you would give me your public address and then i would conduct that transaction like send my bitcoin to your address Mm -hmm. and you could store your private key to be able to access those funds on uh what's it called A, a paper wallet which is really you just write it down um or you could use a wallet software or you could actually not control your private keys at all. And you could use a service that essentially holds the Bitcoin for you and then access it that way. Um, So you don't actually have to use like Tor or a special hardware or software. Um, There's kind of a variety of options.
0: Okay. So then where does Tor fit into all this?
2: Yeah. Tor. So Tor is uh, the, uh, the onion router. It's an anonymous um, kind of, a uh, relay so that you can browse the internet without um, people tracking your movements and knowing your location and what you're searching for. Um, so it's, it's basically kind of like a sister technology to Bitcoin where both are for anonymity. One is for anonymity in your kind of information and, you know, actions online and the other is for anonymity in your purchases. And they are typically thought of together or used together because if you use Tor to buy drugs, then if you just use your bank account, you know, that kind of kills the (laughs) anonymity. So you would use Bitcoin to keep yourself, um, you know, private.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. So, and I think we had mentioned, you said that we may be able to get a little tour of Tor later on. Sure. uh, Because I've I've only seen it, Briefly in 2012, when my friend showed me, I think that's probably why I, I associated it with with Bitcoin with Tor was because yeah. he showed me this and he said, look, and then, you know, people buy drugs or that you can get whatever you want on the dark web and you use this thing called Bitcoin. And so I, I just want to know, like, all right, there are obvious issues that, we face with Bitcoin and with decentralized currencies, but there are a lot of potential benefits. And in your mind, I guess I'll go through, well, we can start with you, Hannah, and say like, how do you feel about the negative effects of Bitcoin and things like Tor and then comparing those to the positive side of things that could be how we can leverage it for good?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an important distinction because just because it's uh, anonymous doesn't mean it's by nature illicit. So there are a lot of legitimate reasons to use both cryptocurrency and Tor. Um, you know, for one, with Tor, things like um, activism or people who want to speak out against a government that would otherwise censor their speech or, uh, you know, even just being like kind of protected against advertising and and people tracking your every move online. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a criminal or doing something illicit. Um, and then with, with cryptocurrency, you know, there's, the main thing is actually that it's, I guess, separated from any one specific government currency. Um, and so it's really this global worldwide currency that, um, that is, is just run by software uh, and you know it's, it's open source and it's a network of people rather than it being controlled by any specific government. And the interesting thing that I've been learning and watching as I've been in this space is that there's so much regulation around money movement, especially across borders. And one of the things that's traditionally appealing to some people about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is kind of like getting around that red tape. But the thing is, that red tape is, is there for a lot of reasons. You know, There are these controls in place to prevent money laundering and to prevent um, uh, you know, movement of stolen funds and, you know, and, and um, make sure that if somebody has been frauded out of millions of dollars, that that can be kind of tracked and collected. So right now, there's this growing infrastructure being built around cryptocurrencies. And basically, even though cryptocurrency can't really be controlled, the businesses that facilitate cryptocurrency transactions can be controlled. And so all the governments in the world right now are grappling with how to balance uh, a cryptocurrency that could be used for banking, you know, for helping people who can't get a bank account use, uh, use money um, on the one hand, and then also making sure that the controls are in place so that you're not just letting these networks of nefarious activity happen. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, completely. And as a an expat of the US, I know very well about these different red tape or the, the hoops you have to jump through when you want to get currency from yeah. one country to the next. And that is something that I think people are very interested in when they look at Bitcoin or any kind of uh, blockchain that has that. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's there for a reason. And right. as much as we try to avoid the tax man, they're able to come and find us wherever yeah. we are, if we're using Bitcoin or not. So I I wanted to jump in, Priscilla, because I, I've heard you have a lot of cool stories about different things that have happened, like scams or um, what was another one, like thefts that have happened, some kind of, was there a, well, I don't know all of the stories, but I'm sure you can enlighten us to these facts. Can you tell us some of the crazy stuff that you've found as you've yeah. been researching?
3: Yeah, so that's been a really funny and interesting tangent of all of this is just coming across these wild stories. Um, it almost feels like, you know, how every like cop show and things kind of have a gimmick. I don't, you know, like, uh, now I can't think of any, but you know, most like, you know, Castle, he's a writer and psych, he's a psychic detective, you know, there's all these things. And it's like, I don't think we're that far away from the next like cop show gimmick being someone who's like investigates cryptocurrencies. And that's like the only like niche of like crime that they like do in terms of like murder investigations, (laughs) because there is so much money involved in cryptocurrencies. I mean, millions to billions of dollars, And so, you know, in so many cases, especially like Hanna was saying, sometimes people don't store their, you know, cryptocurrencies offline. They store them online with an exchange. I might be using terminology wrong. Hanna, you can be like, you're saying things wrong. But um, in which case, when one of these exchanges disappears overnight and then they have access to all of these funds and people will just lose millions of dollars or however much they have in that exchange can just disappear. And then people, you know, don't like that very much so that they have a tendency to retaliate. So there was one, I was looking it up this morning to try to remember what it was. And it, um, it was a Polish exchange and, you know, disappeared overnight. The exchange did not have, you know, everyone lost their money and then a few days later one of the co-founders was like found dead outside of his apartment with like i think it was like blunt force trauma to the head or something and it was just like yeah don't steal people's money they don't like it (laughs) not that he should have you know been shot outside of his apartment but um Mm. and then i think the biggest one and han will have information on this one too um Quadratics which was a Canadian exchange i believe right
2: Quadriga, Canadian yeah.
3: Quadra- oh yeah yeah and it was a young founder and he mysteriously died in India on vacation but so i have i have a lot of theories on this one because he died but 12 days before he died he had changed his will and his wife got everything i mean multiple houses cars yachts She had two little dogs. Both dogs had a $100,000 trust fund. I mean, just, you know, millions of dollars. Like, just...
0: (laughs) The dogs had a trust fund?
3: Yes, both of them. I think they were like little chihuahuas or something. (laughs) A $100,000 trust fund each. And so his will has changed. 12 days later, he, like, mysteriously dies on vacation in India. So, and only he had access to the cold wallet so all of the funds within this exchange he was the sole purpose who had access into that and so when he died all that money no one can get to it so, so it's stuck there presumably yes or he faked his death and is uh, now just living off of it. <laughs> uh,
0: that's your theory then
3: one of the two either his wife killed him to get her puppy money or <laughs> or he faked his death and ran off with the funds. <laughs> so.
0: Wow. Wow. So these exchanges, can you maybe break it down a little bit more for us, Hannah, because I, I know they're like, there's the most famous one that I'm sure a lot of us have heard of, which is Coinbase, right? Is that an exchange or is that a wallet?
2: That's, um, both actually, they offer both services. So they offer a hosted wallet, which means that, you know, they control the keys. Actually, I think they have a a different wallet service. It's a hybrid of that, and then also an exchange. And as you said, it's probably the most famous. It's definitely the most beginner friendly. And um, actually to that end, and I don't say this to to disparage Coinbase at all, but when you see um, some of these scams that play off of, People who don't really know anything about cryptocurrency, Um, you know, so there are scams called romance scams where somebody will pretend to be a a lover, you know, develop this relationship and then ask for money to maybe come see the the victim or something like that. And they'll ask them to send Bitcoin for the for the transaction um, or there's lots of variations of that. Um, and so you often see that it's actually Coinbase is the one, the victim just doesn't know. And they like search like, you know, easy cryptocurrency, buy Bitcoin, whatever. And then, um, so the, uh, yeah, Coinbase users end up um, being, or yeah, it's just because uh, it's so easy to use that oftentimes mm-hmm. you see the, the victims being from Coinbase. Um, there was also an interesting case and again, I don't say this to disparage Coinbase at all, but it's just because I think because they are so easy to use. Um, uh, the Hamas organization, um, if you're familiar uh, with with them, uh, did a fundraising campaign about a year ago to to raise money, uh, and they decided to use cryptocurrency for the first time. And so they actually just didn't clearly didn't know what they were doing, and so they just created an account on Coinbase and put their address out there for everybody to send them money. And obviously, like, <laughs> um, that got shut down real quick. Um, and so then this is actually interesting, because one of the things you find is you watch everybody's learning and getting more sophisticated with cryptocurrency, both on like the law enforcement side and the criminal side. And this is one of those cases where the first fundraiser they just created an account on coinbase under like the name of the al-qasim brigades um the second fundraiser they like got a little bit more sophisticated and, and just put out you know a, a, a address that was not hosted anywhere but it was still a reused address so all of the funds just went straight to this one address and so that's easier to track and then the third campaign that they did it was actually a website that like auto-generated a new address every single time and so then that becomes like a little bit harder to track. Um,
0: it's interesting. Harder, but not impossible. I imagine right. yeah. you, you're able to crack that code, right? And I, so it feels to me like it's a bit of a, a game of cat and mouse on that. And this is very much like when you start getting into the security uh, side of the internet, right? Like there's the the hackers, and then the ones who are trying to protect against that, and you have the what are they called the The white hat hackers is that what it is yeah Yeah. and so i've heard from a mutual friend that you're more of a white hat hacker is that true is there any truth to that
2: i i mean i think he's being generous i'm I'm not really a hacker (laughs) uh like yeah i mean what we do is definitely on on the the white hat side of cyber crime i guess uh I, i mean it's Yeah. You either use your tech skills for, for good, bad, or neutral. And that's a really, actually a really vague thing, right. You know, because you can talk about there's, there are these uh, websites on, on tour that sell stolen credit card information. Right. And so these are people who have somehow gotten their hands on a bunch of either PII personally identifiable information or credit credit card, Uh, numbers and and stuff like that. And, or, you know, maybe passwords and accounts and those can all just be sold uh, and and bought very easily on, on the dark web. And so obviously that's illicit activity. Um, uh, You know, but then you can also think about people who are using their tech skills at, for ad tech, you know, and they're kind of just like exploiting people legally by tracking all of their online activity Mm -hmm. and, you know, figuring out how to target them with advertising and and make money off of them. And, uh, you know, that's like, it's not illegal. It's fine. And usually we all kind of benefit from it a little bit too, by just having this targeted advertising that gives us exactly what we want, but it's not, you know, it is a gray area. So if you have tech skills that you apply to a gray area like that, like, you know, that's not for good or for bad.
0: Yeah. Well, and also I think what, the point you're making is interesting, too, when you talk about these ad tech uh, people that are helping get more targeted ads to you. It sets up a foundation that could be used in a bad way. Right? Yeah. And I think we've all seen that. And everybody's eyes are very open right now because of the most recent documentary right. on Netflix that everyone's realizing, whoa, what What happened? What's going on? I didn't realize it was doing that and we're all seeing it more and more with uh, as news comes out each day on these giants like Facebook and like Google and YouTube and that stuff. So uh, it is a very fine line and you make a great point. Like what is for good? What is for bad? What is just neutral? Is there such thing as neutral? So, So that's very nice. Now, being that you're very much following the money, and if I needed to, how could I mon- How could I launder some money?
2: <laughs> There's- Is
0: it possible these days? That's what like these. I always think about that. How technologically savvy the banks are and the like blockchain i I looked at as like the the oasis where okay if you want to launder money you have to use blockchain right but even with blockchain it sounds to me like you can't really do it
2: it's yeah i mean it's one of my favorite topics to think about and i think priscilla and i have chatted about it over beers um before too it's like you know if if you had to launder money like how would you do it um and it is it is hard and a lot of like you you have to be good and you have to not really make any mistakes although i was watching a john oliver an old john oliver um episode yesterday about churches and you know nothing like the the churches that are basically using loopholes in the u.s tax system to um basically you can just as long as you just kind of claim to be a religious organization they don't really scrutinize you. <laughs> and so uh, that I was actually thinking about that yesterday. If I were to launder money, I may just like set up a, a religion <laughs> and you know, do it that way. Um, that's the
0: easiest way.
2: That's probably <laughs> the easiest way. Uh, so one interesting thing on Bitcoin, I think, is actually um, mining. So part of the infrastructure of Bitcoin is the mining that takes place uh, to, to generate new Bitcoin. And so, technically, these newly minted Bitcoin are clean, right? You know, they're they're freshly minted. Um, so, one good way to launder money, I guess, would be to buy buy the mining hardware with your dirty funds. So, you know, and then and you know pay for the electricity of of doing the mining with your dirty funds, and then out comes your clean Bitcoin, and then you cash that out at an exchange, um, and no one's
3: the wiser. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Okay. And so, but as far as like what we typically think of of you know, money going from one place to the next to some offshore shell account or some shell corporation and then to another place and all circling around that doesn't work. And is that what you're making sure doesn't work? Like so that it goes through it gets exchanged through 20 hands and then you think it's clean? So
2: yeah, I mean, so the the interesting thing with 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 blockchain is, I think people might think that it's easier than having to go through all of those hoops of you know these like shell uh, companies and and all that, and you would basically just try to move the money around the blockchain creatively um, and and have people lose the trail. But you have to be really good to actually have like really lose the trail like um because there are these services called mixers where you put your funds in and then they give you your funds out with uh, a different address and so theoretically that's not supposed to be trackable um but if you think of like the game sudoku where yeah, right there's you know numbers that you know, and numbers that you don't know, and you just kind of apply logic to figure out the ones that you don't know. That's kind of a a simplified analogy of some of the ways that you can figure out um, mixing funds. Um, There are other things uh, on the blockchain too, but actually, yeah, so I mean, I I think that probably the old fashioned ways of money laundering may be better than with cryptocurrency because it's so trackable. Mm. Um, Even, you know, people will like, Do chain hopping, so they'll use a swap service to like change their Bitcoin to Ether or some of the currency. That was what
0: I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, So that that does make it harder to track, but it's still it's still all this kind of visible digital trail. So um, actually, Priscilla found some interesting stuff. Uh, The the companies that have it's like looks like different services, but they're probably all really the same service.
1: Yeah. So I came across. Um, I was going through this list of high-risk exchanges and I realized, and a lot of what I go through is reading over legal documents and things like that. And I realized, I was like, oh, this feels redundant. I feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then I realized, wait, I literally feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. So then I went back through and I realized that all of these different exchanges were essentially the exact same thing I mean, almost verbatim, copy and pasted legal documents. The infrastructure looked the same. And so I sent it to Han and another guy on her team. And I was like, I don't know if this means anything. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And they were like, that probably means something. Like, maybe send us some screenshots. So I went through and I sent them um, some links and screenshots. And yeah, because I think it was probably all, you know, one entity. And then they just had all these different things with... zero regulation and no rules and no, um, you know, what's called like know your customer Um, rule. You know, they didn't apply any of that. So people didn't have to give any information to set up an account. Anyone could set up an account. So there's no way to track who's going through, what the money is, who it's coming from or anything like that.
0: And you say high risk exchange. What does what is a high risk exchange? What like constitutes one of those, and why? What's the appeal of a high risk exchange? Is there more potential to make more money, or why would someone want to be in a high risk exchange?
1: Yeah, so that's funny. Hannah and I actually had just a big conversation about this the other day, because about you know if something is labeled as a high risk exchange, you do kind of want to make sure that it really is because you don't want to label something as bad that isn't because that's just unfair. They're, you know, they're not doing anything wrong. But then there's the other side of it too, where like, but just because you label something as high risk doesn't necessarily mean that it is 100% attached to a terrorist organization or, you know, it also may just mean it's just riskier. So any exchange that, um, they're called a like KYC, which is know your customer. If an exchange doesn't have a KYC, anyone is using it. Anyone can do it. There's no way to for the company to track anything. And so if you want to stay super low key, you can do it. But the less regulated it is, the less information they need from you, it's more likely that something bad may happen or that you are a bad person using it. You know, a regular exchange, you know, if it's not labeled high risk, it has a strong KYC policy. It's regulated by government organizations. It has these things in place to let people know if I use this, my funds are probably safe. My information is safe because some of them you do have to put your information in, but it's not regulated by any government entity so you don't know whether or not your information is safe in this exchange or not. So my yeah. advice would be if you are using it to find one that is as regulated as possible because it's more likely that your information will be safe.
0: And so the fear of using one of these exchanges that you see that now they could be gone, gone, gone tomorrow.
1: Yes. The one thing that is encouraging is That more often than not, the people are found out. And like for me, that just makes me feel good. You know, (laughs) like even if I lost money, to know that these people are found out is reassuring. It's like, okay, well, you sold for me. That's a bummer. But when you invest, that is a risk in investments always is that, you know, don't invest more than you're willing to lose because you might lose it. Um, But they're almost always found out. And the cool thing about Hana and her company is that. You know, it's all still brand new and they already have all these things in place to be able to find people. You know, she's one of that, the Chainalysis is one of like the pioneer companies in this. So, you know, they're the old one, the one that's been around forever. And Han, what is it, like five years old, six years old? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's very, I think people should be very encouraged because I do think there's a lot of good things about using cryptocurrencies. And, you know, it's nice to know that yes, the criminal side of it is advanced, but so is the opposite side. Mm. And, you know, even in this the few years that it's been around, you know, a lot of the people are found out, a lot of the people are in prison or, you know, on trial right now, or, you know, all kinds of like. Mm. So, um, you know, so I think it's a, a safe and interesting and worthwhile. Thing. And I think it's just going to keep growing because I think people see the benefit of it.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a bit about those benefits and maybe Hannah, you can give us some reasons why we want to use cryptocurrencies. And also there's a million coins. So like what are some interesting ones that you've seen and why because I get a little confused sometimes on why you would want to use one over the other and what it's for. And I know there's a huge amount of hype around the coins and just blockchain in general. So can you break that down for us a little bit, make it more clear as to what the benefits are and why I would want to use this?
2: Yeah. um, It's a big topic, but uh, I'll do my best. So the, the, Two kind of original and you know arguably most popular um, cryptocurrencies are are Bitcoin and Ether, which are actually two different blockchains, two different you know software uh, for for digital currency. Bitcoin is unique in that it's just a store of value for the most part. So you just use it to. Um, You know, if if you have Bitcoin, that's your store of value, and then you can use the software to send Bitcoin to somebody else, and then they have that value. Um, The Ethereum blockchain, of which Ether is one uh, currency, but there are lots of others that are built on top of the blockchain, is different because it could be used as a store of value, and then it can also be used for what are called smart contracts, which is um, basically code that executes on this blockchain. So you can really build um, infrastructure around the movement of of value that um, doesn't need a human in the loop. So I'll give an example of what I mean by that because I know that's kind of an abstract topic. So say I want to buy something from Priscilla um, but I don't trust Priscilla, you know, she's shady. So, <laughs> uh, so I wanna make sure that I get you know, I I get whatever I'm paying her for before I give her the money, right? Um, So we could build a smart contract that will basically hold the funds uh, kind of locked, not give them to Priscilla yet until kind of we both agree that the transaction has happened as we want it to, and then the funds unlock and and she gets them. Um, So these kind of smart contracts can be very simple, or they can be really complex. um, And they're just kind of a set of instructions that are encoded into the blockchain to make sure that certain things happen. uh, And and when they do happen, um, the funds can can move or you know, what kind of whatever the outcome of that is. Now, the tricky thing is, it's, it is up to humans to write the code for it. So you know, have you ever seen software without bugs, right? Uh, if you mess something up, then you can you can end up losing money kind of forever. It's just lost on the blockchain, and um, there's nothing really you can do about it. And I think maybe the most famous case of this was the um, the DAO, uh, the DAO, um, which stands for decentralized autonomous organization. It was this uh, first kind of test of of using smart contracts and and code to have like an organization that's completely run just without you know like without a a human and so people put money into it and backed it it was on the it was on Ethereum um, and then somebody exploited an issue in the smart contract where they were basically able to uh, to get the funds before they were like logged as spent. So they basically were able to kind of siphon out millions of dollars Ooh. from uh, from the DAO and or millions or billions I forget uh, it was a lot of money, but that actually became kind of a philosophical like turning point in the Ethereum blockchain where which led to what's called a hard fork where half of the people wanted to make a change, reverse that contract, you know, reverse it so that those funds could kind of be given back to the people that it was stolen from. And other people were like, well, you know, that's antithetical to this whole idea. If we start kind of rolling things back, then it's not an immutable blockchain. And so there was a split, and now there's two different blockchains that were originally from the first one. There's Ethereum Classic, and then just Ethereum, Um, so.
3: Yeah, so that was a really was, long
2: and complex answer to your question, sorry.
0: No, it was perfect. It gives a lot of color around what is going on. And and like with these different ones, I know that there was a huge amount of craze, especially maybe not so much anymore, but in, I want to say like three years ago, probably when I bought my first Bitcoin, there was an insane amount of hype around all these ICOs, the initial coin offerings from many different companies, right? And can you just walk us through that and how that works? Because I know there's a lot of people that maybe got really rich from those ICOs and then you don't see much happening with that or uh, or vice versa. They've been able to do some really cool things and haven't done an ICO. So can you walk us through that, crazy? Yeah,
2: that, so... ICO initial coin offering is basically a way of crowdfunding projects. Um, So you issue a coin, people buy that coin, and then they hold like, you know, they hold money in, in one of those coins. Um, And so by doing that, every person kind of has a stake in this project, which if the project does well, then presumably the value that they hold in that coin is going to go up. Um, And conversely, the, the, the project that needed funding has received all of this money for the coin offering. Um, so as you can imagine, with, with this kind of crowdsourced funding and this craze where people are basically speculating and they just, you know, they find a project that they think is interesting and they hope it's going to get them rich really quickly, um, there is a spectrum of of, of quality of these ICOs so some of them were actually legit products projects um that you know legitimately like could use the funding and, and use the funding well and then there's like a plethora of, of just scams you know so people put their money in and nothing ever happened with it and yeah everything in between and so I mean there were some notable ones that raised uh you know so uh EOS is a project actually it's its own blockchain but it did a ICO on Ethereum, raised billions of dollars and then used that money to to build a separate blockchain that exists today. And it's unique because it's supposed to be kind of like a higher throughput, uh, which one of the problems or, you know, one of the issues with Bitcoin and Ethereum is that it takes a while to process transactions. So um, the kind of like transactions per second processed on that blockchain is relatively low. Which means if you get more and more people using it, it becomes slower and slower to process transactions. And so EOS uh, is designed to to facilitate a lot more transactions. Um, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's popular, but it's like had some issues. If you Google uh, EOS news, you'll see some of the, the issues that have been having, um, especially like kind of like with developers in the community. I think mainly because people are worried that it's, too centralized and that kind of control is, is um, concentrated in uh, uh, too few nodes, which means it can be controlled. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I could see that. No, I guess that, and that does beg the ethics question of when I think about the whole blockchain and the dark web and the want or the necessity or just the desire to remain anonymous, I guess I see it as a big pushback from everything that we're going through in the normal web that we look at. And I wonder if you feel that there is ever a good case for remaining anonymous, because I think we've mapped out a lot of these bad cases, the the bad actors that you find a lot and what the majority of people are using the dark web for right but i think about different cases like those who are trying to stand up to dictators or organize something around that and they need to be anonymous and so i wonder what your thoughts are on that
2: yeah it's it's important and there are the cases like you just mentioned that are really clear-cut you know people need this anonymity, um, for their safety. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there are even like support groups for people recovering from like addictions and abuse and and that kind of thing. Um, and that's really important. I think we are as a society, not, we haven't figured out how to grapple with how transparent and trackable all of our online activity is, you know, before everything was online, people could kind of safely assume that like, if they're in their house or behind closed doors or whatever, that that nobody knows, you know, that they have some privacy, and now that's just not true at all. And so we don't we don't know where that line is. Where what we're doing is like is just fair game for you know governments and corporations to track, um, or if it's something that we kind of have a right to. Uh, to have that privacy. And there are, you know, there's like GDPR um, in the EU, which is built, you know, trying to grapple with that idea of, of letting people have privacy and the right to be forgotten and the right for people not to track all of their, uh, you know, all of this online data that they put out there. Um, and and that's, you know, I, I think that's really important because as you said, it's not just all um, like criminals, uh, you know, trying to launder money and, you know, and fund terrorism or whatever, like there are, there's, it's a huge, uh, huge spectrum of, of kind of privacy versus safety. Um, and it's something that like, none of us have figured out yet. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So I, I heard a little notification from your calendar. Do you have to go right now? Is this it? I, are we finishing?
2: I can I can be a little bit late to the next meeting.
0: Okay. Well, I don't know if a little bit is enough time for you to show us around the dark web. Or yes. Give us a quick tour.
2: Yeah. Uh, it'll be really quick.
0: But all right. Just so we can see what it looks like, and this is something that, like, downfalls of the dark web because I think I remember hearing from my friend who showed me the first time that you can access any website that you normally can access. Mm-hmm. if you're using Tor, right? And is Tor the main one and the only one? Or yeah. is there others? Uh,
2: there's there's other, but I think um, Tor is kind of the main one. So really, you know, to demystify it a little bit, it is just a browser. So the same way that you would download Chrome and use it or Safari or Firefox, you will download and, and use Tor. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you open it, this is... The, the default page and it uses DuckDuckGo search engine, which if you're familiar with it, is you know, a search engine similar to Google, but it doesn't kind of track all of uh, your searches and, and store them and analyze them. Um, and I, I wanted to pull up a couple of good examples, but unfortunately some of them I wasn't able to load uh, or they're being weird. Um, but this, this one is probably a scam. Uh, this is like a guns and ammo store where presumably you can buy guns and bullets uh for you know this much money this one you'll notice like i haven't even logged in or anything and there's listings already so it could just be a site where somebody's trying to get a person who wants guns to send money and then they won't actually sell them guns potentially uh, um, interesting. this one didn't load but this is a place where you could buy dumps of credit card information um if you, yeah. Is there a
0: way to figure out if my credit card is on there? <laughs> can you just search for yourself? or is there,
2: that... there are some services. So as you can imagine, like big corporations don't want all of their, uh, their usernames and passwords and, you know, accounts um, to be sold on the dark web. So there are services that kind of like comb through all of this to see what's being sold and, and listed. And then, you know, if you buy that service, you can kind of see um, whether you're on there or not. Um, but it's typically geared towards like towards businesses rather than individuals trying to figure that out um i don't know if there's a service that offers it for individuals um this is kind of a weird religion i think i'm not sure um and, and then so you're
0: just searching on duck you're just like searching for things or these are
2: that's a good question yeah so uh Typically you actually can't just search for something um, and find it kind of by nature of this being anonymous. So typically you have to figure out what the URL is um, uh, through message boards, forums. There are some sites that are like aggregators. So you, you know, if you want to find like all the drug markets on the dark web and the URLs for them, um, you, you could find it that way. So it's not as easy to find this is Yellow Brick, which is a market where you can buy drugs, but I don't know what's going on with it right now. Um, so there that's a brief overview of the dark web.
0: Nice, so, and I know you you wanted to mention beforehand that there's not like the murder for hire oh, on yeah. the dark web. <laughs> and this, we have so many misconceptions about all of this, right? Like, yeah. can you clear clear that up a little bit?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That one's, I think a kind of a fun, interesting one because anybody who's just starting to get into like learning about it and, and will find some article. And I think everybody thinks that that's one of the big things that's happening, you know, it's like this murder for hire. Um, there are sites out there that claim to offer murder for hire, but as far as I know, there's as hasn't really ever been an actual case of somebody, um, basically what what they are are scams because there are legitimately people out there who want to hire someone to murder someone, but yeah. there aren't necessarily like legitimate murderers out there for, for a hire. So usually what will happen is somebody will pay a lot of money to one of these sites and then just not see that money. And the person stays alive. Um, it, you know, and it's, it's dangerous though, because, um, because that, that does indicate that there's somebody out there who wants somebody murdered and they might find another way to do it. So it's definitely worth kind of paying attention to that activity, but it's not quite what people think.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And it seems like it's a, if you don't know what you're doing on Tor or on the dark web, it's a really good way to get burnt or caught fast.
2: yeah. So. Um, yeah. And actually, kind of a last anecdote on that there was a market called Hansa uh, market where people could buy drugs. Uh, I think it was in like Germany. Um, and law enforcement actually took it over. And instead of shutting it down right away, they operated the market for like three months so that they could, you know, find out like the vendors and the users and everything. And nobody really knew, except there were comments um, on the message board where people were like complimenting the site for having like better customer service. (laughs) (laughs) Law enforcement was running a a good customer service on the drug site for a while.
0: They were too good. Yeah. That's how, you know, your message board or your, uh, your marketplace has been taken over. Right. It's not the same people. If the customer service gets too good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I just have a few more questions. I know you got to go. And I was wondering can you tell us who Satoshi is?
2: <laughs> Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, for those who don't know, that's the um, anonymous creator of Bitcoin. And there's been a lot of speculation over the years about who this is, whether it's one person or a group. And, you know, my my conspiracy theory is that, uh, you know, probably like the U.S. government created it and put it out there.
0: What? Wow. That's different. Yeah. I haven't heard that one before. That, That's very Yeah. I mean, you
2: know, it's it's a it's just silly speculation. But if you think about it, you know, the first of all, the Tor project was funded by the US government back in the early days. Um, you know, there's there's a real kind of need, even you know, on the government side for like anonymity software and and stuff like that. Um, and then the other thing is people have this misconception that it is anonymous and good for using for criminal purposes when the reality is the exact opposite. I think you can hide your trails using cash way easier than you can with Bitcoin. So, like, the smartest thing you could do is to create some digital currency that criminals think is safe that you can actually track really easily.
0: Oh, yeah, it makes complete sense when you put it that way. So... Last question for you, Hannah and Priscilla, I'll let you go. Um, I'll let Priscilla answer this one first. Are you a robot?
1: Am I a robot? (laughs) Yes. Um, I don't know how to answer that question without sounding like something a robot would say.
2: (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Love it. How about you, Hannah?
2: I I am. Yeah. Everybody who knows me knows that I'm a robot. It's, it's, it's common knowledge. So I won't even try to hide it at this point.
0: There we go. Well, thank you both for being incredible guests and really educating us on the dark web, on cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and telling some of these stories about some of the, the fails. I hope to hear more of the stories and I am actually going to do some more digging now. You've sparked my interest in this and I really appreciate your time and you coming on here and talking to me.
2: Thanks for having us. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: We will see you all later and have a great day.
2: You You too.